Baby Sleepy Face by Craig Donaghy They knew it was a stupid idea, but they could never say no to a challenge. They especially couldn't say no to a challenge that the other had set, even if it meant that they were now walking through the woods in the middle of the night. The weak beams of their tiny torches revealed a forest floor covered in muddy leaves and thorny bushes. The moon was out, bold and bright, but the ceiling of twisted tree branches above blocked out its calming blue glow. Amber and Ross were twins. They both disliked this fact very much because they were so different. Amber was quick and curious, always sniffing out mysteries and looking for answers. Ross was gentle and thoughtful, drifting in a cloud of his own stubborn ideas. Nonetheless, they had two very identical traits. They were both very competitive, and both very tall. It's a competition, their dad would say. They're racing each other to the stars, but keeping their feet on the ground. Now their feet were tearing through thorny tangles as they weaved between the dark, silent trees. Amber raced ahead, claiming she was the fastest. But Ross kept overtaking her, defiantly trying to prove he was the bravest. Both wanted to stop. Both wanted to turn round every time they heard a creak or a rustle. But this was a competition that they both wanted to win. Three nights earlier, Amber had woken Ross up to show him something very strange. She led him to her bedroom window and pointed to the hill in the distance. Normally they'd have seen the dormant silhouette of the abandoned doll factory on the edge of the woods, but now a grey smoke poured from the factory's chimneys, and unnaturally white lights skipped past the shattered windows. It was the same again the following night and the night after that. It's reopened, that's all. They're making dolls again or something, Ross had said dismissively. But why not tell anyone? Amber asked. We haven't heard Dad talking about it. Their dad had once worked in the doll factory. Everyone's parents had. Then the factory had been closed down and everybody had lost their jobs. The factory closure had made things so hard for everyone in the town. Many families had left the nearby city in search of work. And those who had stayed in the town struggled to find jobs and to feed their families. The town had become a sad, depressed place. If the factory was reopened, it could make everyone happy again. People would have work again, and they wouldn't have to leave. It could save the town. I'm going to go and find out, Amber declared proudly. No, I'm going to go and find out, Ross declared slightly prouder. The twins stood side by side outside the factory and watched the smoke spiral into the night sky. They could see flashes of light behind the dirty glass of the windows. Something was off. It was all too quiet. The huge concrete building with its giant chimneys and tall windows vibrated with an eerie nothingness. It wasn't long before the twins were inside the factory, 
A loose panel in a forgotten wooden door had led them straight into a storage area. The place smelt old, damp and forgotten. Their torches' tiny spotlights danced across boxes, furred with dust, and a floor covered in broken dolls' arms and legs. Ross found a light switch and instantly regretted illuminating the single bulb that hung from the centre of the ceiling. Shelves of broken dolls watched them with empty eyes, silently poking their podgy fingers at the twins. Rows and rows of tiny toes pointed to the cobwebs on the ceiling. Amber stumbled backwards, bashing into a crate full of shiny glass eyes. The eyes spun around in confusion before settling back into place. This is seriously creepy. Amber whispered. Are you scared? Her brother whispered back. No. I said it's creepy, not that I'm creeped out. Whatever. The twins spotted a wooden door at the far end of the storage room, framed by the floor-to-ceiling shelves of dusty, slumped dolls. Amber and Ross looked at each other and gulped nervously. Don't be such a baby, Ross. Hey, you're the baby. They ran towards the wooden door and reached it at the same time, bashing it open. What they saw on the other side left them open-mouthed with shock. The factory was indeed up and running again. No, more than that, it was brand new. The ceiling and walls were white and clean. All of the machinery and conveyor belts were shiny metal. All the moving parts, the tipping vats, the grabbing claws, the churning moulds, and the spray guns worked away, silently with a ruthless efficiency. I came to visit Dad here one time, Amber said. It did not look like this. This is something from the future. Ross gazed around. Everything's so new. What are they making? The twins made their way through the factory, ducking under metal pipes and pumping machines, and it soon became very clear what was being made. Hundreds of pink arms and empty heads knitted with yellow hair, glided along the metal assembly lines. At the end of the lines, plump baby boys and girls, in stripy red-and-white pyjamas, slid off the rolling chutes and into packing crates. Dolls. Ross picked up one of the little boy dolls. It had sleepy eyes, rosy cheeks, and fluffy yellow hair. Ooh, extra creepy, said Ross. I'm baby sleepy face. A metallic recording rasped from inside the doll. Both twins jumped. Then they couldn't help but smile at each other. They were both a little creeped out and there was no hiding it. They used to make these baby sleepy-faced dolls here, Amber said. They were huge. Even I had one. The doll 
suddenly opened its mouth to reveal big white teeth and bit Rossi's hand. He yelled and dropped it on the floor where it landed on its feet in an expert crouch. The doll then straightened up and started to walk towards the twins. It let out a wail, a long, screeching cry that seemed to split the air. The other dolls in the crate nearby joined in. Amber and Ross edged backwards as a wave of pyjama-clad dolls climbed out of the crate and off the assembly line and advanced on them, screaming and shouting. Their chants began to sink, and words formed. It's time to go to sleep! It's time to go to sleep! The dolls' faces began to change. Despite their rosy cheeks, dimples, and sleepy little eyes, they looked angry and hungry for a fight. Evil dolls? Is this even happening? Ross asked. We need to stop them. Amber said, her voice determined. With a nod to one another, they lunged forward. Amber launched a kick at the doll that had used its teeth on her brother and sent the bedtime biter flying into the crate. Ross took off his backpack and swung it round, bashing five of the dolls across the room. Another doll jumped onto Amber's back and started pulling her hair. She flipped it over her shoulder and whacked it on the floor. No matter how many dolls the twins kicked away, more and more kept appearing. Brand new dolls continued to roll off the end of the assembly line, and rather than sliding along on their chubby bottoms, they stood up and ran furiously down the chute, desperate for a fight. I know how to stop this, Amber cried, turning to run away. I can turn off the machines. Hurry, Ross replied grabbing dolls and jamming them into a crate. He pulled a heavy lid onto the box and sat on it to keep them all trapped inside. He could hear the dolls shouting from their prison. It's time to go to sleep! It's time to go to sleep! When she'd come to visit him there, Amber's dad had showed her where everything was in the factory. She remembered a small boxed area full of switches and levers, the control room. There had been a button, a big red one, that would stop everything in case something went wrong or someone got hurt. If that control room had been restored exactly like the rest of the factory had, then she had to hit it, and quick. Hurry up, Amber! Ross yelled, trying to keep the captured dolls in the crate while fighting off the new ones that kept appearing. They seemed to burst into life the moment they were fixed together by the machines. Amber spotted the red button and hit it as hard as she could. The production line stopped. The silent machines came to a sudden halt. Although the dolls carried on shrieking and twitching, Amber ran back to Ross, and together they were able to stack heavy boxes on top of the crate full of dolls. They could hear the dolls clawing to get out, but the boxes kept them safely trapped inside. See? Amber smiled. I did it! I would have done it faster, Ross smirked. Let's get out of here, Amber said. There was no time to argue. We need to find help. 
The twins dived back into the stale storage room. The dolls that had sat silently on the shelves were now twitching, as if waking up from a long, dusty sleep. This time, though, Amber and Ross weren't alone in the room. A man stood in the center, under the single humming light bulb, except he wasn't really a man. He had a human body and human hands. He even wore a dark brown jacket and blue overalls. But he had a huge plastic doll's head with cold glassy eyes and blushed cheeks. As he stepped forward, his plastic eyelashes fluttered. A metal headset was wrapped across the side of his face, connecting his mouth and ear to what looked like a small satellite dish. The twins grabbed each other's hands, fear and instinct driving their movements. I'm the foreman, the figure said, in a lifeless voice, stretching out his arms towards them. This is my factory. Trespassers will be eliminated. What's going on? What is it that you're doing here? Ross demanded, instinctively stepping backwards and pulling his twin with him. Building an army, the foreman replied, letting out a glitchy robotic noise. All of these autons are built to fight. We've added essence of Sontaran to get them battle-ready. The foreman marched towards the twins. An unsettling metallic giggle sounded from the device on the side of his face. Now why do the bad guys always feel the need to explain everything to the good guys? A stranger's voice asked. A thin man stepped forward from the shadows. He looked angry, or at least his eyebrows did. He was smartly dressed, in a buttoned-up white shirt and dark jacket. His curly grey hair was both tidy and unruly, and he looked both terrifying and kind, all at the same time. "'Who are you?' the foreman turned towards the stranger, not lowering his arms. "'I'm not one of those idiots should tell everyone everything straight away,' the man said. He sounded Scottish. He thought for a second, appearing to process more thoughts than most people have in a lifetime. I guess using simple logic, that makes me one of the good guys. The man quickly stepped forward and pushed the foreman, who fell backwards over the crate of beady glass eyes and into a dark corner. The strange man seemed to be on the edge of losing his temper. He turned to Amber and Ross. Well, come on then, twins, he said. You see each other all the time, so spend your time looking at something new and exciting. Me. Then he turned and ran through the forgotten wooden door that led outside. The twins raced to follow him, not quite knowing why, but feeling like it was the right thing to do. We're safe now, Amber stated when they were outside the factory. Don't be ridiculous, the strange man proclaimed. You're not safe. 
You never are, and in this case, you're specifically extra not safe. But we stopped them, Ross replied. Do you two share a brain? the man asked. But his insult then became a question. He curiously looked inside Ross's ear. Do you, though? They'd be very excited to run some tests if you do. Who? Amber started. Are you? Ross finished. The Doctor. Ancient. Alien. Amazing. He smiled. You're Ross, you're Amber. You're twins. You're caught in the middle of an alien plan to take over the world. Most people who know me are, to be fair. I stopped the machine from making any more dolls. Amber was defensive. She wasn't used to being criticized. And I put all of the dolls in a crate, added Ross, eager to prove he had helped. Yes, as I know all of that. I was watching very carefully. So, Amber said slowly, starting to get frustrated, we stopped them. Not at all. It was ineffective to the point of embarrassment. The twins looked a little hurt. The doctor impatiently rummaged in his jacket pocket and pulled out a bunch of small cards. He quickly flicked through them. Nope, not that time. Save for later. No! Aha! He started reading. Good work. You tried your hardest to stop an alien plot, invasion, or mystery. Delete as appropriate. But this time you were unsuccessful. What do you mean we were unsuccessful? Amber demanded. She didn't make mistakes. There's an alien called the Nestine Consciousness, the doctor replied. It controls plastic, all plastic. You stopped at building an extra angry army of Orton dolls, but there's loads of things it can control already. Toys, dummies, mannequins, already formed in the most fighty of all shapes. The human. Before the twins could even begin to process what the doctor had said, the ground started to shake. And your dum-dum species has been dumping plastic and burying up for years. This very factory was shut down because you lot buried so much right here. We're on a plastic dumping ground? Ross asked. You wish. We're on a graveyard of dolls, the doctor said with an excited smile. The soil beneath their feet started to split. Clods of grass turned upside down. Hundreds and thousands of discarded, faulty plastic dolls began breaking through the dirt. The dolls, missing eyes and limbs and with misshapen heads, clawed through the ground like mini plastic zombies, hungry for revenge. And their targets were the doctor... Amber and Ross. Soon, the churned earth had become a sea of seething plastic body parts. There was no space left to step into. 
the dirty pink dolls marched in the moonlight, wearing tattered, stripy pajamas. Their distorted voice boxes sang a chorus, telling the world they were all baby sleepy face. The doctor pulled out a pair of sunglasses. It's night time, Ross exclaimed. There's no sun. There's always a sun, the doctor cried in disbelief. What are they teaching you on school these days? This planet's really gone downhill. He slipped the sunglasses on. Anyway, I don't need the sun right now. I need my TARDIS. Amber and Ross felt a huge rush of air, only it wasn't air or anything like they'd ever felt before. A noise as elegant and as powerful as whale song hummed in their ears. Something bright and solid was forming around them, and they realized they were inside some sort of high-tech control room. They looked around in awe. But the doctor jumped straight to work, heading for the large console in the middle of the space. He began pressing buttons and pulling levers, with all the verve and concentration of a concert pianist, then stopped and pointed at Amber. Hey, you, the one who loves hatting big red emergency stop buttons, don't do that here. Amber nodded. She was so overcome by everything around her that she was speechless. What is this place? Some sort of classroom? Ross was staring at all of the blackboards and books. Yes, and many ways. The doctor appeared to like this. When others come to learn how completely stupid they always are, this is the TARDIS, it's a spaceship, it's a time machine, it's my home. He went back to work. He didn't look up, but he moved his hands over the console at breakneck speed. I've materialized it round us, so you won't get the whole, wow, it's bigger than the inside experience, but trust me, it's incredibly impressive. The TARDIS began to shake. The doctor looked at a screen on the console. He ran along a walkway to a small door, then flung it open. Oh, dear, that's not good, he said, peering outside. Amber and Ross ran to the door of the TARDIS. There was a lot to take in. We're in a blue box. How can that be? Amber said. The doctor slapped his forehead. I would be a bit more concerned about that if I were you, he said, pointing up. Looming high above them was one gigantic mega-doll, made from hundreds of smashed-up dolls all piled together. The gigantic autumn creature stumbled around like a baby walking for the first time, clumsy but determined. It seemed to fall forward into each powerful step, making the ground shake. A huge hand swooped down and picked up the TARDIS. Amber and Ross toppled forward, but the doctor grabbed them both by their backpacks and pulled them back into the safety of the TARDIS. He then peered closely at the doll's hand. Like the rest of the creature, it was made up of limbs 
eyes, heads, and torsos, a jigsaw of dolls. Some parts were old and discolored, buried for years, rotten and forgotten. Some parts were the new dolls that had been made in the refurbished factory, pink and shiny and ferocious. Tiny arms and legs grabbed and kicked viciously at the TARDIS. A booming, robotic voice came from the giant doll. I'm Baby Sleepy Face! Yeah, well, I'm Dr. Angry Face, said the doctor, slamming the TARDIS door shut. Doctor, Ross pleaded, can't we just get out of here? This is a time machine, right? And a spaceship? The doctor held on to the rail as the TARDIS continued to shake. I'm not as simple as that, Twin Two. I'm tracking a signal from out there, far away, even by my standards. I need to stop this thing being controlled by the Nestine. The TARDIS shook violently, knocking them all to the floor. Great. I just redecorated the library. The doctor dusted himself off grumpily. You've got a library? Amber asked. I've got several. I don't like to boast, but I've got a garage, a gallery of oil paintings of cats, an observatory. Uh, the TARDIS shuddered again. Not the right time, Dr. Disco, the Time Lord muttered to himself. Something occurred to Ross. How's it getting a signal? If something's being transmitted, then something must be receiving it, Amber finished for him. Good brain work, twins. Now, let's keep it going. I was trying to look around that factory for some fancy metal stuff. A great big metal receiver. You see anything like that, twin one? The doctor pointed at Amber. The control room, she offered. Nope. Keep thanking. The machines on the assembly line, she tried. Wrong again, twin two, he turned to Ross. Uh, yeah, what about the chimneys, Ross suggested. Or something from the storage room? The twins were back in competition mode, both trying to think of everything, each of them in a race with the other to be first. The doctor walked over to them and raised an eyebrow. Do me and yourselves a favour and stop competing. Work together and you might be surprised at the results. The twins nodded sheepishly, then started again. How could they communicate? Amber pondered. Were there phones? Ross asked. Maybe in the offices? But there were no working phone lines. They could have mobile phones. Or hands-free kits or something like that. Then it hit them both. The doctor nodded. Had he already worked it out? Did it matter? Doctor! Amber shouted. The foreman had this metal thing on his head like a hands-free kit with a little satellite dish on it. It must be capable of receiving a signal, Ross said. The doctor ran back across to the TARDIS console and beckoned the twins over to look at a small screen. It showed a scan of the giant doll.
At the center of its face, just between the eyes, lay the green outline of a man. A man with a large plastic head, full of alien tech. Of course he's part of the doll, the doctor said calmly. He's the brain of the beast. He paced back and forth. I need to shut that thing down. I can use my sonic sunglasses to stop the receiver from working and block the signal, but I need to get nearer to it. A teeny little satellite like that needs fixing up close. You're using those glasses? Haven't you got a screwdriver or something? Ross asked. The doctor grinned. If only they knew. How are you going to get up there? That thing's huge. Amber trailed after the doctor as he paced around. The doctor pulled the TARDIS doors open once more. I'm going to climb up. But you're an old man, said Ross. You've got no idea, the doctor said. I'll do it. Amber took off her backpack and stood proudly. Don't be stupid, I'm the better climber. Ross took off his backpack. That's not true. I can climb and I'm better at not being scared, Amber retorted. Hardly. You've been a right chicken, Ross said. The twins' bickering was interrupted by a soft grunt. They turned to see the doctor launch himself out of the TARDIS doors and onto the wrist of the huge Orton doll. They gaped in awe as they watched the doctor scramble up the forearm of the plastic monster. He grabbed onto jutting limbs and fuzzy yellow wigs for grip. Loose hands scratched and pinched him, and the doll's heads tried to bite him. Patches of the devilish giant doll were beginning to smooth out and form one solid creation. The doctor had to move fast, or it would soon be too slippery to climb. The doctor gave it everything. The TARDIS swung around in the grip of the creature's hand, but the twins held on tight. They didn't want to miss a thing. The doctor made it to the giant doll's shoulder, balancing carefully on a row of heads with furious faces. Suddenly he slipped, first his legs and then his body. He held onto the shoulder, but something was wrong. His sunglasses fell off. They bounced down the doll's torso as tiny hands tried to grab at them and then landed on the churned-up grass. He needs those sunglasses, Amber turned to Ross. I can climb down and climb back up to get them to him. No, Ross shouted, grabbing Amber's arm. They shared a look. The doctor was right. They had to work together to achieve their goal. You climb up, and I'll climb down, Ross said. I'll grab the glasses and throw them up to you. You're a better climber. And you can throw further, Amber said. Chuck them to me, and I'll pass them to the doctor. Ross nodded and jumped out of the TARDIS doors. He allowed himself to fall from the doll's pudgy hand, timing it so he landed on its chubby knee. Amber followed after the doctor. 
He turned and gave her a look of both fury and respect. I told you two to stay put, the doctor shouted, beginning to scramble up the doll's neck. No, you didn't, Amber yelled, edging her way up the doll beast's arm. Well, I should have, the doctor said, but I'd never tell anyone to do something I wouldn't do myself. Ross tried to slide down the plastic leg, avoiding spiteful pokes from blunt fingers. He made it down to the ground. Just as he was about to jump clear, the doll flicked its ankle, sending him across the dirty ground in a rough roll. Amber watched, panicked, as her brother lay there motionless on the ground. Then, a second later, he climbed to his feet and gave her a thumbs up. As Ross ran towards the sonic sunglasses, which lay in a heap of ripped-up grass, the doll's foot lifted ominously above them, then started to descend. Ross skidded across the ground to the sunglasses, grabbed them, and dived out of the way just moments before the big plastic foot smashed down. Amber gripped the doll with her knees and held out her hands. I'm ready! she called to her brother. Throw them now! Ross hurled the sunglasses into the air and Amber caught them easily. She gave Ross a thumbs up, but then the giant doll started moving violently. It threw down the TARDIS and used its hand to swat at her as if she was an insect. An unearthly roar came from the plastic beast's delicate baby pink lips. Amber moved quickly heading towards the doctor, who had now made it up to the face. He reached backwards, and Amber stretched upward to pass him the sonic shades. The doctor nodded. No, you two, move away as fast as you can. He scaled the giant's face. When it opened its mouth to roar again, he took advantage of the open lips and used them as stepping stones. Then he grabbed the big button nose and pulled himself up between the doll's huge eyes. Ross helped Amber down the last section of the doll's ankle, and they watched together from the ground. They nervously paced, ready to move away from the doll giant's lumbering footsteps, at the same time as being ready to move towards the action, so they could see everything. The doctor found what he needed. There submerged in the broken doll parts of the face, was the foreman. He slotted in perfectly, with his gigantic doll's head lying in the middle of the creature's forehead. His eyes were wide open, and he watched the doctor with loathing. The small satellite dish on the side of his head buzzed. You are an enemy of the Nestine! the foreman declared. I'm an enemy of anything that invades bollers and controls, so you know what I must do. The doctor sighed, sliding on his shades. The foreman's face flashed with fear and anger, and he screamed. The doll giant's mouth stretched open once more and let out another tremendous roar. Every head that made up the creature also let out a scream. The doctor pressed to the side of his sonic sunglasses. 
It's time to go to sleep. The signal was cut, and the doll suddenly became still. Amber turned to Ross, concerned. Did he do it? A low rumbling sound confirmed that the doctor's plan had worked. Heads and limbs started to fall off the imposing figure as it crumbled to a pink mountain of lifeless doll parts. The twins yelled out for the doctor as the creature collapsed in front of them. Then they raced forward to search through the pile of plastic rubbish, frantically trying to reach the strange man who had saved their lives. Amber suddenly felt something warm among all the hard plastic limbs. A real flesh hand! Ross ran over to help her, and they pulled out the doctor. He rose from the pile of body parts, coughing, spluttering, and shaking his head. <laughs> that was ridiculous, he said, brushing off his jacket. He began to head back to the TARDIS, which had fortunately landed upright, but at a slight angle. <laughs> Even by my standards. Where are you going? Amber said. The doctor turned to look at Amber. That's the muddle of the night. I'm getting you two home to bed. They didn't move, so he gestured impatiently. Come on, then, twins. Hurry up. The twins ran into the TARDIS, this time entering into the surprisingly enormous interior through the small wooden doors. Wow! It really is much better this way. Ross said in awe. Finally, the doctor said, grateful for the acknowledgement. He smiled, then remembered to look cross, too. So, what about the Autons? Amber asked. Just inanimate plastic now. Just dolls. I'm going to come back and tidy that lot up. There's a species I know that love that stuff. The Chikadarians gobble it up and poop out diamonds. Sounds amazing, but it's pretty gross. Actually, it doesn't sound that amazing. It just sounds gross. Amber and Ross stared at each other. Who was this man? But the nesting thing, will it be back? Ross asked cautiously. Almost definitely. They always come back, the doctor replied with a sigh. So what do we do? Amber found her backpack and started putting it over her shoulders. You do nothing. I'll do the worrying. You just get on with your lives. Dream your dreams, eat your chips. Be kind and curious and the right sort of careful. The doctor's face darkened. And for putty's sake, grow up and stop buckering. When you work together, you help to save the planet. Amber and Ross nodded. The TARDIS started to make the same singing noise it had made earlier, humming and then wheezing. When it stopped, the doctor headed to the doors and opened them, to reveal they were in Amber and Ross's small back garden. They all stepped out. What happens now? Amber said. 
you go to bed. Fall asleep, dream your dreams, eat your chops, etc. Haven't I covered all of that already? Do pay attention. The doctor walked back into the TARDIS and shut the doors. A second passed before they opened again, and he popped his grey-haired head out. Check out that factory tomorrow. Take your dad. A few tweaks, and that'll be a fully functioning, eco-friendly, futuristic factory. Give everyone jobs. Make something fun and amazing that will save this town and change the world. But no plastic or dolls. The twins agreed. The TARDIS faded into the night making that noise they had come to love. Then Amber and Ross snuck into their house and went upstairs. Good work tonight, Ross said, smiling at his sister. You too, Amber nodded. Back in her room, Amber put her backpack down and sat on her bed. She was still trying to get her head around everything. The doctor, the TARDIS, dolls, aliens... Suddenly, she remembered something. She pulled a battered cardboard box from the top of her wardrobe and placed it on the floor. She crouched down and pulled out a knitted blanket and some comic annuals, and there it was, her old baby sleepy-faced doll. She picked it up and looked at it. She turned it upside down and shook it but it was limp and lifeless. She was taking no chances. Amber headed downstairs and opened the back door into the small garden. She threw the doll into the wheelie bin, then smiled and headed back into her room. Now it really was time to go to sleep and dream of more adventures with the doctor. This audiobook was produced and published by Penguin Books Limited. Recording copyright 2017. Audible hopes you've enjoyed this program.